Well, I tell you, then you don't realize how many kids we have in this church until they all stand up here. And I know that wasn't all of them. I know a bunch, a number of them are gone on vacation this week as well. So it's like, wow. Sure. Yep, I'm on. So what I want to do is uh, I'm going to, we're going to uh, look at uh, uh, two scripture passages primarily today. Well, once, yeah, two scripture passages and one apocryphal writing today. And the apocryphal writing is, is going to be talked about because it's very significant to Palm Sunday. So, uh, and that is 1 Maccabees chapter 3, verse 15. Most of your Bibles does not have this. It's an apocryphal Bible, uh, apocryphal scripture, which we'll talk about what that means just a little bit later, okay? So, but, uh, okay, here's the question. How many of you know your name? How many of you know why you were named that name? You, you know why you were named that name? Okay, Michelle, do you know why? I think there is a popular song, uh, Michelle. <laughs> is that why? It was one of the popular names, I think. <laughs> it was a popular name at the time? Okay, anybody else? My mom was mad at my dad. I was supposed to actually be Jackie, but he left or something, so she changed it to Janelle. <laughs> That has got to be the strangest reason. I, I became Janelle because I was supposed to be a boy, and my mom no. was mad at my dad. So no, my boy. dad was mad that I wasn't a boy because he already had a girl, so he left. And so I was supposed to be Jackie, but my mom was mad at my dad, so she changed it to Janelle. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. You ever wonder why I'm Darwin? They ran out of deeds. Serious. That's the reason. My brothers are Debbie, David, Darwin, Dennis. My cousins are Diana, Dan, Dale, Dwayne, Doug, Donald. And so when they got to the D with me, uh, they said they basically just ran out of Ds. And so that's why they, they gave, gave me my name. Uh, I do know that there's one more Darwin Dunton spelled my way in the United States. He's over in Oregon, and that's all I know. That's all I know about it. But it's interesting why people name people the names that they give them. And usually there's a significance behind it. For example, my grandson's name is Duke. Why do you think he's called Duke? A D. No, 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 it isn't a D. Good, good thought. I didn't even think about that one. My son-in-law's favorite basketball team is Duke. Okay. I had somebody in my last church that uh, named their daughter uh, Scarlet and her son Trestle. Why? They were fans of Ohio State, and the and the other daughter is Olivia, which I don't know how that goes. Um, and so, so you look at these names, and people normally will name somebody something uh, that is significant to them. For example. Allison is my first daughter. She was named after Alice, my father, or my father-in-law, my mother-in-law. And her middle name was Rochelle, which she was a friend of ours in college. See, that's why we named him. My son is David, and uh, Joanna was, why was she named Joanna? I know why the middle name. Joanna, oh, your middle name. Oh, that's right. And so, yeah, Paul, okay. So Joanna was named after Polly's middle name, and the I don't. What was her middle name supposed to be? It was supposed to be no. Well, 
I was there. <laughs> okay, well, she was supposed to have a different middle name, and Polly was so thrilled that she was born, she, she goes, oh my Joanna, oh my Joanna Joy, and that's why she became Joanna Joy. But we had another middle name picked out. We'll fight about it on the way home. Okay, so, okay, so I'm going to show you something here. And uh, I don't know if you can read this too well, uh, because it's kind of small. But here are six names. Uh, Matthias, Judah, Simeon, Jonathan, Jonathan, and Eliezer. Okay, so, by the way, who do they look, sound like? Well, Matthias is actually a name of, uh, uh, we get the name Matthew from it. Got it? And then you've got Judah, and you get the name Judas from it. Uh, Simeon, or uh, Simon, and we get the name Simon from it. And then we have Jonathan, we get the name John from it. Jonathan, which is, a, we get the name John from it. And Eleazar, which I have absolutely no idea. I, I spent time trying to figure that out, but I couldn't figure it out. Who do they sound like? What? They sound like the 12 apostles, don't they? You see, normally when you respect somebody, you're going to name them after them. So if you have, a, like, George, you know, if you get into some of the names, especially in the 1800s, George Washington Carver, got that? You see, they normally named it after somebody that they had high respect for or honor. Uh, Abe, Abe Lincoln, you know, all these. Uh, I won't go down that one. Another one I was thinking of. But they would name them after somebody that they respected. So these are the Maccabees. These are the Maccabee children, the, the father and the children, that led the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucians 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 uh, around uh, 160 BC. And so they were held in high honor and they were, um, you know, people respected them because of what they did. So about 160 to 170 years after the revolt is when Jesus came onto the scene. <coughs> Sounds familiar. Think about this. How old is the United States? 220 years old. We are taught American history. We are taught to respect American history and all this. And there are people who are that are uh, well-respected, well Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, uh, John Adams, uh, Abe Lincoln, uh, all of these types of people are held in high honor. So along comes these individuals who lead a revolt, which we're going to explain a little real, to you really soon, led a revolt against the solution. solution I can't even say it right now. Uh, the, 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 the country up north. And... Uh, and uh, they are held in high honor. So let me let me explain, um, give you a little history here. There were five major kingdoms that the Israelites had to uh, deal with or they were under their control. The first one was Egypt. Got that? And then you had uh, uh, then you had the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. All right. How do you keep them straight? I'm going to give you a little acronym, a little poem. Ready? Eat a big purple grape. Got that? Eat a big purple grape. E is Egypt. 
A is Assyrians. B is Babylonians. P is Persians. G is the Greeks. And the R in great is the Romans. See? You learned it something today, didn't you? Now, um, we are now into the great period. We are into the Greek period. About uh, 332 uh, B.C., you had this young commander named Alexander the Great that was trying to take over the entire known world at the time. He was young. When he came in and he would take over an area, he would what was called Hellenize it. He was trying to bring in Greek culture to the whole area. Greek writing, Greek uh, Greek uh, thought, Greek philosophy, Greek religions, all of that tried to come in. He tried to bring in because he thought Greek was the, was the superior uh, culture, therefore the whole world should have Greek. And so he brings it in. However, when he came into Israel, uh, actually Jerusalem, people knew that that's what he was going to try to do. So when he finally came in, his armies came into Jerusalem, there were those who took on Greek culture immediately. In fact, some of them even uncircumcised themselves in order to fit in as Greek. Don't ask me how they did that. But I want to be known as Greek, so they they reversed their circumcision. And so, Greek culture started to come in to Jerusalem. Around when, when Alexander the Great died, his kingdom was then split in two. You had the Ptolemy Empire and the Seleucid Empire, which is north. The Seleucid, I, I said it really good in the first sermon, but I can't now. The Seleucids were up north. That's where you have Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, all of those areas up north. Down south in the Greek area, you actually, or the Egypt area, is where you have the Ptolemy Empire. And so in the middle where you had Jerusalem, it, they kind of fought back and forth quite a bit. But they pretty much left Jerusalem alone. You could still um, um, worship Jehovah. Still maintain your culture, even though they were trying to influence it with Greek culture. Finally, the Ptolemy Empire kind of weakened, and the Saluted Empire came down and pretty much took over Jerusalem. Around 75, uh, that was 198 BC, when the Saluted Empire took over Israel. Around 175 BC, you had this priest named Jason. Now, he was not a Levite. He was appointed by the government. And he took over in the temple and he accelerated Hellenism. He accelerated the Jewish cultures in, in, in Jerusalem. In fact, he allowed Greek gods to be presented in Jerusalem. In, in fact, eventually, the statue of Zeus was put into uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And they were sacrificing in the temple of Jerusalem to Zeus, which was pigs. Is there something offensive there if you're Jewish? <clears throat> so he was bringing Hellenization in because he felt that the Greek culture was important. So he brought in what was called gymnasiums. 
Now this is the gymnasium in Sardis. And uh, inside, and it's huge, okay, inside the gymnasium is the courthouse, where, or courtyard, where the uh, games were played. Primarily wrestling. Now, if you were Greek, you had a lot of, you, you were very body conscious if you were Greek. If the, the Greek statues were primarily nude. I mean, you see them very muscular. Roman statues were primarily uh, with uh, uh, armor on and swords and that type of stuff. So, when you would go into a gymnasium and you would be involved in sports, primarily you did not have many clothes on, if any at all. Especially wrestling. You pretty much wrestled in You didn't have the signets, you were just there. And so that was in the Jewish area, where nudity was considered shameful and nudity was considered sinful because Adam and Eve were nude, they sinned, and we had to cover up because of that. You see the connection here. And so they're in there, and this is being brought into uh, Israel, into Jerusalem, which is offensive. They built pools such as this. This is the swimming pool in Sardis, and, and in which you would go swimming. And women were not allowed in those pools. Only men and boys were allowed in that pool. I'm going no further. Okay? And so that is getting them upset. They're getting angry. Then, then Antichus, Antichus IV comes to power, the king of the Seleucids, and he ordered Hellenization of Israel. He banned Jewish worship. He banned the Sabbath. He banned circumcision. He banned performing any uh, uh, religious rites. He converted the temple to Zeus. He personally spilled the blood of a pig on the altar. He declared Zeus to be the primary uh, worship uh, uh, religion that we should worship. And all of this is happening in front of these Jewish people who want to maintain their culture and they want to maintain their religious um, the religious identity. This is called Temple A. Temple A was in uh, the Lady Osea. Over here, you see a little bit of a, uh, of a roof. Uh, that is where the church of Lady Osea was built. At the time of the book of Revelation, when Jesus was uh, speaking about these churches, they did not have church buildings. It was house churches, but eventually they took over other buildings. For example, this was Temple A. Temple A was one of those temples to any god you wanted to worship, you could go in there and worship. Eventually the church took it over, and this became a church of, of Jesus Christ. Then they built over here another church, the Church of Lady Osea. If you're interested, uh, just an interesting side note, in the book of uh, Revelation, the Church of Lady Osea had... Uh, this warning, you're not to be lukewarm. Remember that? You had cold and hot, and you're not to be lukewarm. Um, if not, I'm going to spew, spew you out. Did they heed the warning? The answer is yes. How do I know that? This church over here lasted till 600 AD, so it was around for 600 years, and it was eventually destroyed when the earthquake hit the area. Okay, so they heeded the warning. All right, getting back to this. So, you had the worship of Zeus that was happening in the temple. Finally, this individual, we'll get back here, named Matthias, Matthias, 
It was the father, he was a Jewish priest, he eventually went and he killed uh, the other priest, Jason, that was causing the Hellenization of the area. All right. I spent a lot of time in history here because I think it's important for you to understand what was happening. <clears throat> Eventually, Matthias dies. Judah leads the revolt, takes over Israel. Simeon eventually rides into Jerusalem, and this is where you have Maccabeus chapter 13, verse 51 that takes place. Now let me read this to you. On the 23rd day of the second month of the 170th year, and that would be uh, June 3rd, uh, 141 B.C., okay, in the 173, the Jews entered the citadel with shouts of praise, waving palm branches. See that? And playing hearts and cymbals, and I put too much on there. Okay. Because the great enemy of Israel had been crushed, so let's say. Okay. They were waving palm branches. Now this is apocryphal writing that we consider it to be historical. Um, if you want to know more about apocryphal writing, I'll put it all on the back of your notes. <coughs> You're saying, what does this have to do with Palm Sunday? It has a lot to do with Palm Sunday. Because, what were they waving on Palm Sunday? Palm branches. It was a sign where they were saying, hey, Roman, the R in grape, we have our Judas Maccabeus, and he's going to deliver us from you. For 200 years, or close to 200 years, they were waiting for this. They were thinking that this military ruler was going to come on and finally get rid of these Romans and, and Greeks, and we were now going to have our own nation. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that we always tend to look at God and we tend to look at Scripture from our cultural standpoint. And so, where am I at? Back up, back up, back up, back up. Okay, so now we've got this. They hear about this man named Jesus. Who has authority over absolutely everything. He is stumping the priests that were corrupt. He is raising people from the dead. He is curing diseases. He is stealing, stealing the storms. Who is this person? And now he's coming into Jerusalem on Passover. And... People get excited because they're saying, the Maccabees have returned. We're going to be free from these Romans. The next day, the great crowd had come for the festival and heard that the Jews was on, that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to, to meet him. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. 
Verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it was written. Don't be afraid, daughters of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called out Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. The capstone of Jesus' miracles actually was John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Someone who had been in a tomb for four days, he was dead. Even if he was sick, he'd be dead because he hadn't received any nourishment of this sick person for four days. So he raises him from the dead. The, the uh, corrupt priests then are starting to say, we need to kill Jesus because people are following him and we need to kill Lazarus as well, which I always laugh at that. How can you kill somebody who's already been dead? Right? And so here he is, this man who had authority, authority over the priest, authority over sickness, authority over nature, authority over the spiritual realm, authority even over death, is now riding into Jerusalem and people are shouting, Hosanna, they're waving the palm branches, which is a sign of rebellion. And they are thinking, here we go. And this man named Judas Iscariot says, finally, we're going to get rid of these Romans. And then we find out later that Jesus didn't do what Judas did. So Judas then tried to force Jesus into it and started the whole chain of events that led to his crucifixion. One of the issues that we do so many times is we always make religion and we always make Jesus into our culture. For example, what do you notice about this Jesus up here? And it's not that he looks like Ben. What do you notice about him? Anybody see anything? He's Caucasian. He's European. Jesus was not European. And yet you go to every culture that has a church, and they will always make Jesus into their culture. You go to African American, they'll have an African American Jesus. You go to Latin, they'll have a Latino Jesus. I mean, it's always that way. And we have that tendency to do that in our own in our church and even in our own lives is we tend to make Jesus into what we want him to be because we want to get rid of the Romans. We just want to get rid of the Romans. You see, we tend to look at Jesus as one that's going to bring the United States back to the church. But political saviors only last a short time. At most, eight years in the United States. The United States does not need a new president. It needs God. See, in the United States, there are 380 million people. That means that there are actually 380 million gods in this United States because we make God into what we want Him to, and some people, they make themselves God. We say, we need to come back to God as a nation. No, we need to come back to God as an individual. And we need to come back to God as a family. 
We tend to look at Jesus as the here and now. But yet Jesus had an eternal purpose. Because our eternity is going to be a lot longer than our life here on this earth. I think about this a lot. I, I, I often think, you know, what if the Jesus that I think is not the Jesus that I, that in reality? Because that's what happened with the Jewish people. They thought that Jesus was going to be, he, he was going to deliver them from the Romans, but yet in reality he was delivering us from Satan and sin. You know, you know I'm a post-tribulation rapturist. What if I'm wrong and Jesus comes before the tribulation? Great! I'm wrong! What if all you pre-tribbers are out there are wrong and he comes after the tribulation? Are, are, you, are you going to be able to handle it? Or would you sit here and say, why am I going through persecution? Because God would never allow his church to go through persecution. Really? Say that to the first and second century church. Say that to the church in, in uh, China and the church in North Korea and the church everywhere else. Trust me. I see the handwriting on the wall. And I know pastors who, I, not any personally, but I know pastors who are in jail for sermons that they preach, even in quote-unquote free nations, because we're not tolerant. No, we're being biblical. Just some thoughts. So in John chapter 11, verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin after this and says, what are we going to do? This man is performing many signs if we let him go on and everyone will believe in him. And when the Romans, then the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. They were more concerned about the temple and they were more concerned about Israel than they were about justice and truth. But one of them named Caiaphas, by the way, if you want to see something really fascinating, Google Caiaphas when you go home in uh, Jerusalem, in the museum in Jerusalem, is Caiaphas ostrary. You're saying, what's an ostrary? An ostrary is a small coffin. When your body got done decomposing, all you had left were the bones, then they would put you in an ostrary so that they could use your temple for something else. Right? They found his ostrary. His name's on it. It's right there. It's fascinating to see that. Okay? But one of them named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said, you, know, you all know nothing. Isn't it better for you that one man dies for his people than a whole nation perish? Hmm, fascinating. All right. What lessons do we learn? Let's go. Number one is this. Our ideas may not be God's ideas. Be willing to admit we are wrong. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in one person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God's going to prevail. Regardless of what you think. Secondly, it's our Jesus may not be the real Jesus. Allow the scriptures to dictate who Jesus really is. Notice I said, let the scriptures dictate. Not you dictate. If anyone walks around and says, well, my Jesus is this. My Jesus is all loving. Really. 
Never, they never talk about the fact that after Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he went into the temple and he chased everybody out because he was so angry. In the 1970s, they made Jesus into some guy that was walking on clouds. Because that's what the 70s looked at. But they never talked about the fact he got angry. Never talked about the fact he looked at people and said, go and sin no more. Never talked about that. We always want to make it our Our Messiah may not be God's Messiah. Be scriptural and learn. They wanted a Messiah to bring Israel back, but the Messiah was really needed was for the entire world because there will come a time when you will stand before God Almighty in heaven and you're going to be glad that Jesus came as the spiritual Messiah instead of a, a political God's plans are not our plans. He is working for the culmination of the age. Let me show you another scripture. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It's normally a scripture that we use when we're uh, um, uh, during Christmas time. But I want to show you this. Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and as a son, then you are heirs of God. Here's the key verse. But when the fullness of time comes, that tells me a lot of things. One is, God is orchestrating through the grapes. You know, Egypt, Assyria, um, um, Persia, <laughs> and uh, uh, Greek and the Roman Empire. He's working through them for the culmination of the age. God has not lost control. God is always in control. And even when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, and then a few days later he would be falsely accused, falsely arrested, and hung on a cross, God was still in charge. So whoever's in the White House, whoopee-doo, God's in charge. <coughs> Got that? But yeah, because God is working towards the end of the age. God is working for the culmination of everything. It's coming, people. The culmination of the age is coming, but it's on His terms, not our terms. And He's working it out. So here we have Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey. Not a stallion like the Maccabees did, but a donkey. And when he was done walking in, he went over and looked over Jerusalem. And he wept. Because he knew what was about to happen. About 40 years later, Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. A few days later, the Messiah was going to be placed on the cross. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, people continued to live their lives, not realizing what had just happened. 
Father, we thank you for what you have shown us today, what you have taught us, and we thank you for the Jesus who brings salvation to us, not a political leader, but a spiritual The elders will be up to pray for anyone who would like to have prayer uh, this morning. Just have a heart of worship and praise as our praise team leads us in our closing song.